and grab your Bibles, if you would please, open up to the book of Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to talk about peace today. Say peace. How many of you could use a little bit of peace? Raise your hand if you could use some peace today. You're like, I need a peace of mind. Yes, I need some peace of mind. We're going to talk about all kinds of peace. Peace in your heart, peace in mind, peace with God, peace with others. Isaiah chapter 9, a prophecy. A prophecy looking forward to the coming of the Messiah, looking forward to the coming of Christ. And it's going to link really well into Luke chapter 2, which is the familiar nativity story, Christmas story. I'm going to read both of these passages together. I would love for you to underline little things that you're going to pick up that are going to match what you see in Luke 2. I'll try to point them out, but you'll see so many similarities between this prophecy in Luke chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. Nevertheless, the time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. I'd like to speak that over someone today, that the time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulon and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, it's one of those little clues there, Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. Last week we talked about how the Christmas story begins in darkness. And in that darkness, God lights a light. He sends his son. Verse 6, jump down to verse 6. For a child is born to us. There's another little clue. A son is given. The government will rest upon his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful. Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies, there's another clue, will make this happen. I want to say a couple things there. One, I love that the Lord came to establish a kingdom and a government. Do you know Jesus didn't come to establish a religion? He came to bring the kingdom of God into the earth. Open up your Bibles to the book of Luke chapter 2. You're going to see how these passages of Scripture begin to have a handshake here. Verse 1, Luke 2 verse 1. And if you know the Charlie Brown Christmas, you'll be very familiar with this passage. At that time, the Roman emperor, Augustus, decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken by Quirinius, who was governor of Syria. All returned to their ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth. Oh, there's Nazareth in Galilee, just like that prophecy we had you underline. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. Oh, we're talking about a child. That's another one of those clues from Isaiah. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth, laid him in a manger, because there was no lodging available for them. 
That night, there were shepherds staying in a field nearby. Now, that's nearby Bethlehem, guarding their flocks of sheep. We're going to talk about those sheep in a minute. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, Do not be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven. Whoa, there's another one of those little clues. Praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest heaven. Peace on earth to whom God is pleased. Some of you recall this phrase, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem, see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And they hurried to the village, found Mary and Joseph, and there the baby was lying in a manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened, what the angels had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. Mary kept these things in her heart. She thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying, praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as the angels had told them. Do you see the partnership between the prophecy of Isaiah and this here? The light comes from Galilee. Jesus coming from Galilee, born in Bethlehem, child. And on that child, the government of God would rest upon his shoulders. And he would be our Prince of Peace, which is what we're talking about today. And I love the fact that the New Living actually talks about how the skies open up and it wasn't a heavenly choir that you would think of. Too many times we kind of imagine this choir singing Hark the Herald's Angels Sing. But in reality, Isaiah said it would be the armies of the Lord. It would be the hosts of heaven. And here in in Luke chapter 2, the New Living declares and actually writes it, the armies of heaven. And why would God send the armies to declare this? Because this was not a choir number. This was not a religious activity. This was the entrance of a kingdom led by the armies of heaven and the king of those armies. Let's not forget that we're not playing church here, people. We're bringing the kingdom of God to the earth into the hearts and lives of every single individual. And one day, the king of kings will come personally, physically, and reign upon a throne, physically upon this earth. That's not fairy tale. That's not fantasy. That's your Bible. That's where this thing comes to its conclusion, its mighty ending. And then we start over with a new heavens and a new earth. Amen. Today we're going to talk about peace on earth, goodwill towards men. You know, peace is one of the key themes of Christmas and the Christmas season, but sometimes it seems like peace is the thing that escapes us the most during the Christmas season. (laughs) I mean, it's like one of the words you see on the ornaments and you see it in lights, peace, and yet it's busy and there's anxiety and stress and you've got to get so many things done. You've got to buy the presents, get the house ready. You have the school plays to go to, you have the different banquets or holiday parties to go to and it just seems like it's not a peaceful season though it's meant to declare the peace of God in this season and some of you have family coming over and they're going to be staying with you and you are already concerned that this is not going to go well you got to take care of the in-laws you got to take care of the outlaws whatever you want to call them 
Weird Uncle Sylvester's gonna come over. He's angry about everything. You have broken relationships with some individuals and you're already worried about the iciness that can happen in the room or that every Christmas season or every meal, holiday meal when you come together seems to end in a fight or an argument. Someone ends up getting angry or upset. And I really believe today that God brought you here on purpose to help bring peace back into you. Peace into your life, peace into your spirit, and I believe also peace into relationships. Let's not be nervous or think with anxiety about these individuals coming. I believe God may be setting these individuals up to come to our homes this year, not to fight, but to restore, to reconcile. You have the power of God on the inside of you and the help of the Holy Spirit. Can we begin praying now for moves of God within your family line? Because it's not the will of God for us just to get through it. It's not the will of God for us just to get it over with. Jesus came to bring peace to your world. You say, well, you know, when Jesus came and we call it peace on earth, I don't see peace on the earth right now, Pastor Kevin, because this thing happens in two phases. First phase is God brings you peace between God and man. He helps have you have peace inside, and he helps you to have peace with your brothers and sisters. Second phase, he brings a physical kingdom of peace. And so this season, this phase is about your relationship with you and God, you with others, and inside what's happening on the inside. And I believe you're here today to receive not only wisdom and information, but an impartation to believe that God can bring genuine peace. Not just talk about it, not just sing about it. It's a reality. There's a power to the word of God. You understand when the word of God is being preached, the power to perform what it says is inside the seeds of that word. I don't want to hear about peace today. I want to receive peace. Anyone with me? The angel said, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And I believe that that peace on earth can happen because God's peace offering in that moment, the angel was declaring, was set into the earth. The Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the, earth, the world was lying in a manger. And God was saying that I've taken care of the cost, the price to be paid to make sure that we could have peace and goodwill towards men. Another way to say that might be not just goodwill towards men, but would you write this in your notes? God's will towards men. See, because Jesus asked a question, he said, why do you call me good? There's only one good it's God. And what he was saying was is genuine goodness comes from God. Is, is, is God is the source of good. He's also the judge of good. He is the straight line when the world has those crooked lines. God is good. And so when we say God's peace offering is in the earth and goodwill towards men, because of Jesus, because of the Lamb of God, God could bring his will to men and women. Goodwill towards men, God's will towards men, his will to save you, his will to reconcile you to himself, his will that you would live forever in eternity, his will for your healing, his will for your deliverance from sin, from Satan and any addiction or bondage, his will for you to become a new creation, for old things to be passed away and new life to begin. God's will towards men can now happen because the Lamb of God is in the earth. 
Goodwill towards men, that doesn't mean just niceties. It doesn't mean that God can just smile and be like, I'm happy with man. No, he was saying, I have made a way for goodness to get into your life. Surely goodness and mercy can get into your life. Why? Because of the Lamb of God. So when the angel was declaring this, he wasn't just writing Christmas cards. He wasn't just writing songs. He was speaking of an eternal reality. God wasn't playing games. He wasn't trying to make you feel good. He was trying to bring you his good, his good, his good into your life. God's will, good will towards men through the Lamb of God that Jesus was and is has now been placed into the earth. You know, it's interesting in Bethlehem. Bethlehem, many believe, was a city that they actually raised the sacrificial offerings in those flocks. So these weren't just like shepherds, random shepherds. There's a strong belief and some pretty good reason to believe that the flocks that the angels appeared to, the shepherds that the angels appeared to, were actually raising the sacrificial lambs that would be used in worshiping God. It makes sense that the angels would look to the shepherds of the sacrificial lambs to say that God's peace offering, God's lamb was being placed into the earth. And those offerings, those lambs, Typically, they were sacrificed for one of two reasons. One, a sin offering. See, because there would need to be a perfect, spotless lamb that people would be able to place their hand upon and symbolically transfer their sin upon, and then that lamb would die as payment and atonement for their sin to cover and pay for what was between them and God. And obviously, as we said earlier, Jesus is the Lamb of God, which doesn't just cover, but removes, pays for the sins of the world. It's beautiful. The second lamb that would have been raised or grown or developed and you know, herded in that period of time in that place was lambs for the peace offerings. So you have the sacrificial lambs that were being taken care of uh, for the sin offering, but now you also have another group, which is for the peace offerings. And I believe Jesus fulfilled both of these roles as this lamb in the stable, in the manger. A peace offering was given for other reasons. See, the sin offering was compulsory. It was required. You had to bring that as payment to reconcile and atone for sin. A peace offering was a free will offering. And I love the three reasons people would give a peace offering when they went to worship. One of the reasons a peace offering was given was to thank God for his unsought generosity, basically to praise God for his goodness. And so we would call it a peace offering, but really it was a praise offering to God, to thank him for the good things that he had done. It wasn't compulsory, it was something of a free will, to say thank you God for your goodness. And Jesus being our peace offering, that lamb, he was an offering reflecting and declaring the goodness of God. The second way people would give that peace offering was because they had fulfilled a vow. And so they would bring that lamb, their peace offering, because they had finished some sort of commitment or vow. And I believe Jesus being God's peace offering in the earth was God saying, I am fulfilling my vow that I made to mankind way back in the Garden of Eden where I told Adam and Eve, that their seed, there would be a seed that would come that would crush the head of the enemy. 
And God is saying, I'm fulfilling my vow in this lamb that was being offered. And lastly, thirdly, a peace offering would be a thanksgiving offering, thanking God for deliverance. And here we are again, Jesus, the Lamb of God, is God's offering of peace because in this moment, God was bringing deliverance to our lives, to his children, to everyone who would call upon the name of the Lord that they would be saved. What is deliverance? Deliverance is coming out of prison doors. Maybe you've been imprisoned by sin, you've been imprisoned by addiction, you've been imprisoned by your past, you've been imprisoned by the enemy himself who's just kicked you around. But because of that lamb, God is fulfilling a promise, a vow. God has made a way for you to walk out of any prison that has held your mind, your spirit, your life back. And so we thank God and he is celebrating the deliverance that has come into our life and into his kids' lives. He is our peace. That lamb, Jesus, is our peace. Ephesians chapter two, verse 13 through 17. Write it in your notes. Follow along on the screen. Ephesians chapter two, verse 13 through 17 from the Amplified Bible. But now, at this very moment, in Christ Jesus, you who once were so very far away from God, you have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. For he himself is our peace. I want you to write this in your notes. I believe it's a powerful word for you today. Peace has arrived and his name is Jesus. Peace isn't just a feeling, my friend. Peace is Jesus. Peace has arrived and his name is Jesus. Which means even if the feelings of peace are not there, the presence of peace is. The person of peace, the prince of peace is. And my peace rests in his reality, not in my feelings. Peace has a name, and his name is Jesus. The Bible goes on to say, verse 14, for he himself is our peace and our bond of unity. He who made both groups, talking about Jews and Gentiles. Now remember, those are the only two groups that exist in the earth. Jews and Gentiles, in God's mind. Jews being his covenant people that he came into covenant with through Abraham, Gentiles being everyone outside that covenant. Doesn't matter what religion or background, you were either in the covenant or you were out of the covenant. He who made both groups, Jews and Gentiles, into one body broke down the barrier, the dividing wall of spiritual antagonism between us by abolishing in his own crucified flesh the hostility caused by the law with its commandments contained in ordinances which he satisfied. So basically the Jews had ordinances and laws that they couldn't keep. The Gentiles didn't even know about those ordinances and laws so they weren't keeping them. But now in Christ he's fulfilled the laws. He's fulfilled the ordinances. So now both Jews and Gentiles can have access to God through faith in Jesus Christ not in their own works not in their own obedience to the law. So that in himself he might make of the two one new man, thereby establishing peace between them. Verse 16. And that he might reconcile them both, Jews and Gentiles, in one body to God through the cross, thereby putting to death the hostility. He came and he preached the good news of peace to you Gentiles who are far away 
and peace to those Jews who were near. I love that Jesus was a preacher. He wasn't just a teacher and he wasn't just encouraging people about peace. You know, sometimes you have to preach peace into people. You have to preach the word into people, help it get into their spirit, help them get into their heads and into their hearts, help them to know it's not just a theology, it's not just some sort of teaching, that you preach it by faith and believe they receive it by faith and make it their own. Jesus is passionate about this point. This is not just academic, my friends. This is something that as he preaches it, he's wanting it to manifest itself in your life. Something you can grab a hold of. You could even look at Jesus one day and say, preach it, preacher. <laughs> Sometimes we don't see Jesus as a preacher. You see him as a prophet. You see him walking around with a sheep on his neck, very serious and somber. But I think Jesus was a preacher as well. Preaching with fire and passion because he loves us. May we see the passion of Jesus in the preached word in him preaching it to us, not just being casual about it, but preaching it with intensity and preaching this message of peace. Why? Because he knows you live in a world that's full of torment. He knows you live in a world full of hostility towards you, towards God. And so he's preaching through the storm. He's cutting through the darkness. He's cutting through your emotions and he's preaching peace to you right now. He's preaching his peace, his peace to you right now. I brought you this cross today because in Jesus bringing everyone and everything together through his cross, I wanted you to see that he brought peace in three areas. He brought a vertical peace, peace between us and God, a vertical peace. Removing the hostility, removing our sin, removing the judgment that is due us, and it really is due us. And then he brought a horizontal peace, the ability for us to have peace with other people. We're gonna talk about that today. We're gonna to talk about our vertical peace, we're gonna talk about our horizontal peace, and then we're gonna talk about what's going on in our heart, what's going on inside of us. He brought internal peace to us. Remember what I said, in the future, in phase two, he will bring a kingdom of peace around us. But right now, this world is gonna to continue to do what it does. There's Satan, the God of this world, and. There is a curse on this earth and people are running around with fallen natures. And so we don't have to wait for this world to find peace before you find peace. Before I find peace. And our kids can walk and live in peace and be at peace on the inside like Jesus asleep in the boat in a storm. Or a sparrow asleep on a tree in the middle of a hurricane. That's what we're believing for today. So you may walk out of these doors and the world still be swirling around you, but you are at peace. You're at peace in here, you're at peace in here, and you can be at peace with others around you because you know you're also at peace between you and God. And if I know if God is for me, it doesn't matter what's said against me. But you gotta start with peace with God. But then you have to move into the peace with others because it's not okay to say, well, me and God are cool and I'm just gonna let my relationships with other people stay fractured, broken. There's some heavy lifting and work to do because you've been changed, because you've been forgiven, because the Holy Spirit's on the inside of you. Now we go make peace with other people. And even in doing that, we give them opportunity to experience the same peace and hopefully to meet the Lord as well. Vertical peace. Horizontal, internal peace. 
Let's talk about peace within ourselves. We have peace with God because of the blood of Jesus, because of the cross. I believe we cover that pretty, pretty often. But peace within ourselves. Let's start there and then we'll get into peace with others. But peace within ourselves, not having peace with God can contribute to a lack of internal peace. Because you're still carrying your burdens, you're still carrying your condemnation, you're still carrying addictions and things like that and sin patterns. But having peace with God, he can forgive you, set you free of both guilt and shame. And you stand there as holy before God. You stand there as a child of God. You look like Jesus in God's sight because of the blood of Jesus who washes us as white as snow. So not having peace with God can create internal disruption, internal torment. Not being in connection with other people can create internal disruption. Not being connected with God can give you a lack of peace because you don't know why you exist. You don't have a sense of purpose in this world. Why am I here? What am I doing? Is my life valuable? Not having peace with God can also uh, make you challenge you know, your identity, you know, do I matter in this life? But when you have peace with God, you become a child of God. You become the body of Christ. You become joint heirs with Jesus. You know who you are and why you're here. And so again, this peace with God not only forgives you of sin and guilt and condemnation, but it helps you have an identity and a purpose of the things you're doing in this life even have eternal impact. And so all these things bring us a sense of internal peace. It's not just about heavenly peace. But these, these facts of being forgiven and being washed and being cleansed and reconciled to God, it creates an internal peace as well. Sometimes we want internal peace, but all these other things are still out of order. It all begins with your relationship with Jesus, your relationship with God, your vertical peace. If we don't get that vertical peace right, then all this other peace is just passing away. It's unstable. But once you have that peace with God sorted out, then you begin to find the security of his love for you. You begin to find your purpose and your identity and even your peace with others. When God helps you begin to reconcile with other people, how many of you know that's gonna bring some internal peace? Because you have broken relationships in your family. You have broken relationships at work. You have broken relationships all around. That's gonna create internal disruption. But when God helps you not only reconcile with him, but reconcile with others, it creates internal peace. It creates the internal fulfillment that we're talking about here today. So let's talk about peace with others. Why, when I have peace with God, does it help me have peace with others? Number one, we remember that we have been forgiven and I will forgive those who also sin against me, as the Bible tells me to. When you appreciate the fact that you have been forgiven, that I have been forgiven, and we remember that we were given that forgiveness by grace, it'll help us forgive others who have sinned against us. Colossians chapter 3.13, make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you. So you must forgive others. That's our Bible. It gives you a reason to forgive because you've been forgiven, because I've been forgiven. And the Bible doesn't sit there 
and apologize for very strong statements of you have to forgive other people. You know, sometimes we're like, but the Bible's not taking in consideration how badly they hurt me. The Bible's not taking into consideration that it was my mom, it was my dad, it was my spouse, and how much I trusted them or the extent of the evil they did. Do you know that God knows us more than we know ourselves? And God knows those wounds and betrayals and those things that happened, and he still says, forgive. You must forgive. And if the only reason you forgive is because you have received forgiveness, then that is reason enough. Not because they changed, not because they apologized, not because it feels good, but because you've been forgiven. You must forgive. I have been forgiven and I will forgive those who sin against me. It's choice sometimes. Even those individuals who are coming over to your home for Christmas. I forgive. Because I've been forgiven. I've experienced forgiveness and I didn't deserve it. And I choose to release them into my forgiveness today. I've been reconciled with God. I have a vertical reconciliation. I have a vertical forgiveness, vertical peace. And my friends, it's time for us to start reaching out and having horizontal peace. It's also called living the crucified life. Taking up your cross and following the Lord. What does it mean to take up your cross? I heard it said one time, taking up your cross is when your will and God's will cross and you choose to obey his will. It's a really practical way to say, I'm taking up my cross right now. I'm doing what I don't feel like doing, what my flesh doesn't feel like doing, but I'm doing it because that's what Jesus said I should do. The Bible takes relational peace seriously. Matthew chapter 5, verse 24, it says, leave your gift on the altar. If you know that someone has offense against you or you have offense with someone else, the Bible says, stop what you're doing right now. Leave your gift on the altar and go make it right with them. That gives you a sense of urgency, doesn't it? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 actually says, don't even let the sun go down on your wrath or on your anger. Go make it right now. Some of us have been walking with generational bitterness, decades of hurt and offense. And I believe God is preaching this peace. He's wanting to bring peace into your world. He's wanting to bring peace into your internal world. He's wanting to bring peace into your home. Now notice all of this, and I'll say it again a little bit later, all of this is about your action, not their reaction. Because you may say, well, what if I release them in my forgiveness and I offer that forgiveness and they're still idiots? <laughs> the Bible doesn't say to forgive them if they're not idiots anymore. But there's this sense of urgency. Leave your gift on the altar. Don't go play more religious games and let offense and bitterness into your life. This is a big deal to God. He's more concerned about this horizontal peace than he is about our performance of religious obligation. 
Amen. Number two, another reason that we can have peace with others, it's not just that we can forgive them because we've been forgiven, but it's because in this whole journey with you and Jesus, we know how to admit when I have sinned or we've sinned or we've made mistakes, both to God and to others. And that's something, it's kind of a secondary blessing in this whole gospel that we receive is the reality that we make mistakes. It's the ability to admit that I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's a whole lot of people in the world that'll never admit or get to that place where they'll ever think they did anything wrong. But we know ourselves now, don't we? We've met ourselves. We've seen ourselves in the scripture. We've seen the, we've seen the fallen version of ourselves. And we've had to come to a place of repentance, a place where we've seen where we were going was wrong. The journey we were on was wrong. We don't just pray a prayer and magically say, Jesus, you're in my life. No, repentance is understanding you're going down the wrong path. You accept the Lord, forgive me for going down the wrong path. And I, by an act of my will, choose your path to walk after and make you my Lord and Savior. It's not just praying a prayer and going on the, down the wrong path. <laughs> Let me just take Jesus, put him in my pocket, and keep going the road to hell. No. We have realized that we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And everything that we've thought, said, done, that we have things in our life that are wrong, bad behavior, things that we've had to repent, receive, understand, acknowledge, and apologize, ask for forgiveness for. This is a part of our journey with God. Even after we've received Jesus as our Lord and Savior, if we still sin, which we probably will on occasion, we can still go confess our sin to the Lord. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But if we say we have not sinned, we're liars. And so we pretty much consistently can recognize that we can miss it, that we can step out of alignment with our attitude, with our thoughts, with our actions, and we can accept the fact that we've made a mistake and we can go to the Lord and say, Lord, forgive me. But do you see how that's also valuable in our relationships with other human beings? That we can acknowledge that maybe you didn't get it right. Maybe every offense, every hurt, maybe it's not always someone else's fault. As a believer, we acknowledge the fact that we're still working things out. And we know the right things to do, but we don't always do the right things. And so it's meaningless and useless just to pretend like we're always perfect and everyone else is always bad. And so it's really a blessing as we've gotten right between us and God that we can begin to realize that, you know what, I don't do everything right and I can admit it, I can admit it, not just to God, but I can admit it to my spouse. I've messed up. It's not always comfortable to say it to God and a lot of times it's even harder to say it to a person who's looking at you. Maybe it's easier to God because you can't see his eyes. But your spouse is looking at you. There's been times I've said I'm sorry to my children because I said something or acted in a way that that is not the example that I want to share with my kids. But God has given us this practice 
of repentance, this practice of confession, this practice of seeing where we can miss it, and this culture of repentance and forgiveness. May we not just be people that know how to acknowledge our mistakes before God, but we can acknowledge our mistakes, our humanness, even before other people. Romans chapter 7, 18 and 19. This is the Apostle Paul. I mean, he's supposed to be like superstar Christian. And here he is talking about his humanness. Romans chapter 7, verse 18 and 19. And I know that nothing good lives in me. <laughs> Thanks, Apostle Paul. It's encouraging. And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what's right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Does that sound like anybody's Monday? You're like, no, that's Thursday. Okay, good for you. You get four days of godliness. Excellent. <laughs> but isn't it encouraging to know that even the Apostle Paul could say, you know what, I still struggle with my human side. Here's the thing. The Apostle Paul is the same guy that says sin no longer has dominion over you. But he's also the same guy that says, that which I want to do, I don't always do. Here's what I see in that. That sometimes our revelation outruns our application. You can know something in the spirit. You can understand it in the word. But you're still working it out in your life through fear and trembling. And the Holy Spirit's there to help you grow into what you already know. But the reality is we can give each other grace and we can repent towards one another because we know we're not perfect. And if you start acting like you're perfect, like you do nothing wrong, then you're going to have a blind spot in your relationship with other people. Anyone get anything out of that? Amen. And finally, as far as it concerns me, live at peace with others, the Bible says in Romans 12, 18. As far as it concerns me, live at peace with others. The only person you can control in any relationship is who? You. You cannot control their response. You cannot control that here you are given an olive branch in horizontal relationship for peace. They may slap that olive branch out of your hand. But you can control your action towards them. The opportunity that you're offering to be restored in relationship to them. I want to pray in a moment and pray for the internal, vo internal voices that might go on in your head. Because we were talking about vertical peace, we are talking about horizontal peace. Having vertical peace with God gives you a sense of internal peace because you're not condemned anymore and you're not walking in shame and you have a relationship with God. We talked about horizontal peace, which gives you some peace and identity peace. But there are some voices that go on in some of our heads. And we just need to speak the Prince of Peace and the word of God to the storm that goes on in you internally. Sometimes it's not about just a theology. It's not just about understanding this principle of the lamb and the cross. Sometimes it's appropriating and enforcing what Jesus came to bring us. And I believe there's some storms that have been going on, like internal wars, internal storms, and voices that have been going on in your head, like fear of death. Where there's this fear of death that chases and follows you around. At night you, you lay awake thinking about death and what it's going to be like. And you are terrified and tormented. 
by a fear of death. Or some of us are internally tormented by fear of failure. It's like we can never fail. We can never be flawed. We can never make a mistake. And we don't even remember that part of growth is failing. And we so judge ourselves and we're internally tore up on the inside because every assignment you put into the, to the te- give to the teacher at your school, university, has to be perfect. If there's any red marks on it, then you're a failure. You are not a failure. You're learning, you're growing. Give yourself space to learn and grow. Or maybe you're in a business that it may close down this year and you feel like I'm such a failure in business. You are not a failure in business. You may have learned another way not to do it, but you are not a failure. You are a child of God. You are filled with the Holy Spirit and you will learn and you will get up and you will run again. And we'll see God do some amazing things in your future, but you do not receive the identity as being a failure. Fear of not measuring up. I'm not good enough. I, other people are so much better, so much more, so much more talented than me. They sing better, they look better, they seems like everything they do is just so amazing, and, and I'm just not good enough. You are good, and you are called and you are gifted, and you are important, and you are meant to be here. You may not be like them, but they are not like you, and only you can fulfill the call and the plan of God on your life, and even with your quirks. Sometimes we try to get rid of all of our quirks. Some of the things that make us most endearing is our quirkiness. Come on. Sometimes we're trying to act like somebody else as if we have zero things to learn or to grow and sometimes the thing that's most endearing about you is that you're normal and that you're not perfect fear of being an imposter I was studying that a little bit a couple weeks ago individuals who just feel like the pressure they're in a career or um, they're in a position and they're worried that people are going to find out that they're not as good as, as they need to be and they're worried this imposter syndrome is kind of sweeping the nation. Fear of rejection. Mark chapter 4, verse 39, talking about Jesus in that storm. I don't believe it was put in there just to give us Jesus' geography, but I believe he was going through a storm and he was sleeping in that storm on purpose to show us what we're meant to be like in him in storms. There may be storms all around us, but he was able to be at peace and sleep in the middle of a storm. But then he stood up in the middle of that storm and the Bible says he rebuked it. The truth is you're gonna make it. You're gonna keep going, putting one foot after the other, even though there's things swirling around you on the outside. But you know, sometimes you don't have to just sit there and endure the storm. Sometimes you can get up and rebuke that storm too. You don't have to just wait it out. The storm was never gonna take Jesus down but for the sake of other people even, he stood up and he spoke to that storm and he rebuked it because he knew it wasn't supposed to be there and it had no authority over him. But Jesus woke up, the Bible says, and he rebuked the wind and he said to the waves, silence, be still. King James says it, peace, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. That's the image I saw praying over you as we close, is rebuking the storm that's going on on the inside. It's not gonna end up stopping maybe the chaos in the world around us, 
but it can stop the storm between your ears. It can stop the storm inside your soul and declare peace be still over you today. Psalms 34.4, Psalms 34.4, I prayed to the Lord and he answered me and he freed me from all of my fears. Let me pray over you today. Heavenly Father, as we close and we've talked about peace, your offering of peace being placed into the earth, that we could have peace with God. Lord, you also help us to reach out, to have peace with others. And all of that affects our internal peace. But God, I begin to speak to those storms and those hearts and minds that are anxious, that are fearful, that are plagued with internal torment. And I speak and declare peace. Be still. Fear of death, fear of failure, thoughts and fears of not measuring up or being good enough, imposter syndrome. I rebuke it right now in Jesus' name. And Lord, I begin to ask that you bring peace inside of their soul, peace into their heart and mind in Christ Jesus today. We thank you that you came to be our Prince of Peace. And I declare your victory over each and every one of us in this room today. I give you thanks and I give you praise in Jesus' name. If you agree with that, church, would you say amen? Amen. Go ahead and celebrate that. Before I dismiss, I want to give you an opportunity today to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That vertical peace. The Bible says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God that the wages or penalty of that sin is death, separation from God, even hell. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. Well, how do I receive Jesus Christ? The Bible says all who will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's where we are right now in this moment, giving you an opportunity to call on Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, to be the peace offering between you and God, forgive you of your sins, bring you into the family of God. Here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes just for the next few minutes. You say, you know, Pastor Kevin, I don't remember a time in my life that I've ever asked Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. I want to give you an opportunity to call on the Lord today. I'm going to count to three in about 30 seconds. And when I do, if you say, you know, that's me, I need to give my heart to Jesus for the first time. And when I count to three, just raise your hand. We're going to pray for you right at your seat. Or you say, you know what? I used to have a relationship with the Lord, but if I was honest, I'm not where I should be. I need to reconnect to God and I would like a restart. If that's you today, when I count to three, join the first group and just raise your hand and we'll all call on the name of the Lord together. Are you ready? One, two, three. If that's you, just put your hand up and we'll pray for you today. Put it up right where you are so we can pray a prayer with you. There's a hand in the back, awesome. Anyone else? Put your hand up, there's a second hand, third hand, wonderful. I need to get right with the Lord today for one reason or another. Fourth hand, I see you. Anyone else? The Lord sees you, that's even more important. Anybody else? Five, wonderful. Anyone else? Just pop your hand up and we'll pray for you right where you are. Six. 
seven, eight. Wonderful. Praise God. Anybody else? Nine. Yeah, I see you right there in the front. Ten. Another one in the front. Praise God. This is your day. Let's all pray together so no one's praying by themselves. Would you please repeat this prayer after me? Dear God, I thank you that you see me just as I am. I realize I've sinned and I've walked away from you. I receive Jesus Christ today as my Lord and Savior. I believe that he died for me. Wash me, cleanse me, make me new. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Take every part of me now. Be my God. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you celebrate that 10? Praise God. We hope you have been blessed by the ministry of Calvary Orlando. We invite you to join us in person for our Sunday morning worship experience every Sunday at 10 a.m. To find out more about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryorlando.org. There you can find our latest events and ministry opportunities. Thanks for listening.